0: This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. All
1: right, here we are at 3CR Studios. My name's John A. Tate, and uh, this is a special edition of The Sporting Record here with uh, M. Collard.
0: Good afternoon. Uh, Good morning.
1: <laughs> See, we're normally afternoon.
0: We are normally afternoon. And our special
1: guest is Peter Cullen from uh, RecLink. G'day, Peter.
2: Oh, good John and Em, it's great to be with you guys, talking footy and the very best of football, uh, I believe.
1: I think you're a bit bold wearing your cat's hoodie in though.
2: Uh, Yeah, it it is a little bit bold. I used to like to think that I wore them when they lost and went into the rooms when they lost, but people think that's a bit bizarre, you know, it's my way of uh, supporting.
1: So how do you feel about that loss to Collingwood on the weekend?
2: Yeah, it was. It was interesting. I'm sort of getting some comfort out of winning the first three quarters, but Collingwood were very impressive. The way they came back uh, from behind time and time again. I think, Uh, you know, you'd have to say it might have broke Geelong's spirit a bit that they came back, you know, in the closing five minutes of those quarters, um, multiple times when it looked like Geelong was just starting to get a bit of a hold on the game, but they finished very well. And Geelong um, um, seemed to be really challenged in that last quarter.
1: They just seemed to stop, didn't they?
2: Yeah, they seemed to really lose the spark.
1: Anyway, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the uh, Reckling book, which is called The Power of A Football. What's the, point? What's the uh, meaning behind the title, The Power of A Football?
2: Well, uh to be honest with it it's just such a, a powerful game and um from the earliest days of um RecLink Footy in nineteen eighty nine we used it for that very reason within our community. It's amazing cultural power. Uh it's been a a tool um that behind the um I guess the glamour and the the public um enormous public interest in australian rules there's what we call third tier football that we've been doing since um 1989 and we we've seen that the huge social impact and um we found that the game on the streets of st kilda in 89 reminded people of people's better life memories were fantastic conversation starters to get to know people Mm -hmm. who were doing things uh doing it tough you know and um was a great way to connect with people it's it's powerful in so many ways um and there's so many stories to illustrate that but um
1: i think you were very clever back in that time seeing you've taken us there to actually start with uh, a great aussie tradition which is kick to kick Mm. so you didn't start playing games you just got some guys out on an oval and have a bit of kick to kick is
2: that right yeah the the informality um of sport i sort of observed was was really powerful um, and people don't want to share their concerns or they may not have shared their concerns for a long time but to get together informally, it it becomes a trust builder through time and structure and turning up and inviting is very powerful in people's lives who may not have had a lot of invitations over their life connected to... Uh, Opportunity. People came there at a low point in their life. St. Kilda in '89, when I was doing the street outreach, they experienced trauma, found more um, trauma, Uh, constant conversations were. suicide and and overdoses and people said a lot of things that were starting to add up to me that sport and recreation could be very powerful if they could access it I mean a man left prison that I met uh, on the street he really didn't have much so that's not an uncommon story that when people leave hospitals drug and alcohol rehabs it can be a very uh, stressful uh, stressful period and if they can have something they can enjoy and access this man said I've got energy to burn nowhere to burn it my head feels like exploding on the inside and, and then another man um, uh, we went out to the uh, Malthouse theatre I took a group out in a bus and uh, he was experiencing homelessness and schizophrenia And maybe foolishly, I look back, I said to him, um, what are his goals for the future? He said, Peter, I don't even know what to do in the present, (laughs) never mind the future. So that was very grounding. So I thought something immediate that people could access. You've got to make things as accessible as possible. And enjoyment in people's lives, I think, is really important, uh, particularly at that point. And Australia, we all love a kick-to-kick Uh, I've always loved the game and uh, got great life uh, out of the game, whether it was watching, going to to the football, I could never think of anything more exciting than going to watch football. At 12 years of age, I would somehow get myself into the rooms and um, They would say, um, you know, let the little bloke through and I'd have a crew cut and people would be (laughs) running their hand over the head. And, uh, you know, I'd get to see Peter Piano on the bench there, you know, making this amazing spiel to his (laughs) players. And those days it was... So the game began to capture me from very young. I never had a ball out of my hands. I started, you know, all the time I had the football with me... Uh, during school, after school, kicking the ball over the uh, the wires, um, kicking with anyone who, who who was around it was just so deeply embedded in our being, really, so yes it, yeah anyway we, they, so they, for they, these
1: blokes on the street to say, "Look, come come and have a kick with me in the park
2: Something they, to do
1: during the day, somehow how they use up some of that energy
2: well, people responded really well to to that um, and that was i i was blown away even by the numbers that started and kept coming how we were able to form a team of an unlikely looking footy team if i can put it that way i remember the priest ernie smith saying We're going to have to cut out this football after the first match or two (laughs) because everyone was hobbling along. I've seen all these people hobbling along Grey Street. And he said, we might have to cut out this footy, Peter. Everyone's hobbling along Grey Street coming to the meal with Sacred Heart Mission just to have three or 400 people. But he he grew to love it and appreciate it to the point where he said, Peter, you should be doing this full time. This is really working. They're they're absolutely loving this and they made their own gold flags and – we borrowed and lent um, resources. I remember the presbytery being absolutely packed to take a group to Osnum House uh, to play our early games. But um,
1: I wanted to ask you uh, about that first game that you, your team played against the Osnum House guys uh, in the park opposite Osnum House. And it made me laugh, the story about uh, everyone's ready to go and you wanted to do the traditional thing and have a coin toss. Yeah, well, so what I, happened there? Well,
2: I discovered there wasn't a, a cracker between the lot of us, so he could have turned us all upside down, including myself. I never used to carry around a, a lot of money, and I think people all thought that that, that might have been wise at that stage. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah. No, right, let no, me
1: tell you a story from my experience. Em hasn't got a word in yet, but you'll, I'll get you to do a reading in a sec. Yeah. Um, so, as I told you before, I coached a team uh, at Lilydale for a season in Rick Link. And it was a great experience, but uh, it was a long way for me to travel from Airport West over to Lilydale. And one day I was running a bit late for the game, it was a game day, it was a home game for us, and I got there in time, but only just. So I jumped out of the van and ran inside and organised the guys, and out they went, and that's where we played and lost, as usual. And uh, at the end of the game, the guys were all sitting around, there were a few girls, but it was mostly guys, uh, eating their pie and drinking their can of Coke, and uh, I said, well, i better go now. So I went back to the van. Of course, in my haste, I'd locked my keys in the in the car. Right. So, so I went back and I said, listen, is there anybody who can break into a van? So I think 36 hands shot up in the air. <laughs> so I had the right yeah. crowd. So let's have a taste
0: of the book, Em. Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, something that I really enjoyed about the book was, and we discussed this a little bit earlier, but um, how – It isn't necessarily just a historical, factual account of how it came to be, which part of it is, and that's important, but it really shares a lot of um, very powerful stories um, of participants and people involved with Recklink, which has been fantastic to read and I think a really wonderful part of the book. Um, So I just wanted to share this little um, excerpt from it um, to do with Michael Walsh's uh, story with Callista Cooper. So this excerpt starts, They call depression the black dog. And let me tell you what the black dog truly feels like. It's like being in a room in complete darkness, putting your hands on the wall, looking for the door, but there is no door. There's no escape. That's very much how I described my illness in those early times. Through an invite to join a game of Reckling footy, which took me five weeks before I could even get out of the car at the Oval, I slowly found reconnection points to bring myself back from the brink and went on to find small joys, volunteering with their footy league and eventually stepping into a rewarding full-time job with Recklink. This is my story.
2: Yeah, it's a very powerful story and he has an insight that's probably worth sharing. Um, He realised intuitively that if he... He didn't get out of the house. He'd had had a massive personal um, breakdown. He had brothers who were trying to support him. He had family who were very supportive. Um, He used to, you know, he he wasn't really leaving the house there for a period. And uh, our coach, um, one of our coaches at the Sunbury Phoenix, uh, Brian Millett, would phone him up and phone him up multiple times and, uh, he wasn't able to sort of respond to that at this point. Um, but as he said, he turned up at the ground five times before he got out of the car. When he walked across the ground, he realised at the end of the day, he he picked up that there was a lot of people who had a whole lot of life challenges, but who probably had very little or no support. And, and that football team, was he could see how critical it was and he felt he was doing valuable work, uh, he could see that that structure could mean everything as almost as a family for some or a second family. and um, yeah he he goes step by step, um, and he it's a wonderful story that's been put together. Uh, about him. But one of the things, a quote that he loved and is in the story, you alone can't do it, hmm. but you alone must take the first steps. And that quote really impacted on him and it allowed him to get out of the house um, and to sort of rebuild his life. He became one of our uh, – became a really great worker for us.
0: Yeah, I noticed um, I was actually going to uh – bring up that quote as well because it that for him he said that he realized he needed to take to help himself which is great but then also being able to do that in a community that supported him is also incredibly crucial which was really lovely to see how that then played out from there you know take the first step out of the car even um yeah that was really wonderful to read and all throughout the book as well a lot of quotes like it footy being better than medicine um, and someone else saying a vaccine that you can see. And that's Mm. a common thread throughout. But how do you think, How? why is footy so powerful in that way, do you think?
2: Uh, I I have my own thoughts on this. I think we're um, 30 years ago when we were starting this, what I observed on the street's of St. Kilda is that people were in deep isolation; they were not accessing anything really—family, sporting clubs, work—and they were really vulnerable. I think it's a great um, protector of the vulnerable to get a, a structure that brings you out of that and that you really um, that you really uh, enjoy. Um, but one of the the girls in the in the book, um, she wasn't allowed to play footy at school. Um, She'd had a lot of trauma in her life. Um, She, uh, and as a result of that, started doing a lot of um, self-harming. She, the principal, um, she was asked to go to the office because she started playing footy with the boys. So in that young life, she never got to play. She said all her life she waited to be able to do what Reckling was providing for her with uh, footy, cricket, and doing a whole range of things. She became a great character. She won our league medal. Um, But towards the end of the story, um, they asked her what she got out of football. She said, um, I just forget how she words it, but she finishes it. um, uh, I'm not sure what would have happened, but I do know this. It wouldn't have been good. Mm -hmm. And, you know, on other occasions, she's said that it saved her life. It's not uncommon in nearly all or most stories to pick up some threads of that. It's either extremely life-giving or it saved their, their life. But in terms of getting back to your question, the reason I believe it's impactful at this level, and this may be the most impactful form of football, is the deep isolation. Through COVID, isolation and the impact and fall out of that became the national, our work in a sense, not saying RecLink is, but certainly our work and what we're trying to achieve, bringing people into isolation. And we believe in health through community, but also if you bring people out of, um, if there hasn't been a lot of inclusion and all of a sudden, you're you're involved in a way that you're really part of something, and to something bigger than yourself, and a team and a uniform. I remember playing Reckling football and feeling going to work the next day, and my body would still be high,
0: <laughs>
2: like high as a kite. And it, it, there is no more magical feeling than your body, it like even though it might have been bruised and bumped and everything else, and another player described um, I got good bruises rather than bad mm. the contact took on another another nature and um, yeah there's so many things you could say uh, around the the power of, of football um, on an indigenous level we I got a phone call from an, an Aboriginal elder who um, Wanted to put on a game of football at Ulara, uh, Murihuala was a community near there. Um, but I said, "Look, we can do we could do better than that." I said. Um, so I'm in Victoria. He's looked it up on the Google, found us somehow. A game of football. I said, "Have you ever had a league there?" He said, "No, we haven't." Uh, and he said, "Oh, would you meet me out in the middle of the oval?" So I flew there. <laughs> And in those days, you did that. You didn't have to go through the CEO and all, all, all the things that, that you probably should do. <laughs> uh, but you know, I was the boss anyway in those mm. times. So anyway, so we um, we um, we <laughs> we uh, flew there, and the league was was created. Um, there's a whole story about that and how it occurred too, because the indigenous elder flew out on that day. Said, "Look, I'm sorry, but I'm actually." flying out to another work. But I want to leave you with with Jimmy, because I've got a block on the man's name, so we'll call him Jimmy. (laughs) But uh, anyway, Jimmy phones me back to say that, Peter, I know all the Aboriginal communities and some of them were hundreds and hundreds of Ks out. I can definitely get them, but I know no one in the town to help me. And I don't, uh, I feel a bit stuck. I said, Well give me a couple of numbers. So I started phoning around from the office in Melbourne and got onto the local supermarket and got onto the local Lions Club and then they led me to another number and another number and before after a period of time even the local ambulances and I hadn't even been there said, I oh, will come down to the ground and help. We don't need to sit in the station. So that's the sort of thing that yeah, yeah. That, that happens in, in those in those communities. But to get to the more um Powerful point. There was great excitement about the league. And um, they um, they, the social worker said that she passed the local... They started training four nights a week. She passed a roadhouse where normally there was a large group of people um, uh, drinking out the front of the roadhouse, but there wasn't a soul there. And she passed the footy ground, and they were all down at the footy ground changing. But what it says is not only individual impact but can it, it can have a communal uh impact as well. another community said that when the footy league started um at that time there was no wheels on the bus, and the bus wasn't going within a week or so. the wheels are on the bus and the buses, and the bus is going you know so these are, I believe, are all stories about the social power of the game and what a wonderful tool we've got here in Australia, and and I believe it can be used overseas for our international uh, relations as well. That people, it would be great for international relations. Yeah. Well, I was going to game. ask
1: you how has this model spread? Yeah. So it started here in St Kilda, uh, pretty strong in. Melbourne, how has it spread beyond that?
2: At at one stage, there was football leagues in pretty much all states, SA, WA, two in the Northern Territory, um, Victoria. We even had an Olympics with the Sydney homeless that included an Australian rules football match, and they beat us, and I was so glad they did because I was hoping they'd really take the game Uh, on. But they did love it, but... um, to to understand Reclink, they bring welfare agencies together to work together cooperatively in networks, but it's much more than Australian rules. It's very broad now, so it's 75 different sports and recreations mm-hmm. across Australia. It doesn't mean it be 75 in one state. No. There's 88,000 participations, and we're in 110 local government agencies. So if... If you can provide a sport or a mission that's accessible to people, not uh, what we call include the unincluded Mm. in a whole range of forms, if you can get agencies to work, it's a great silo breaker. It's great for communication amongst agencies. It's also provided all sorts of social referral impacts. So um, yesterday we came together at RecLink and a whole lot of referrals were made for podiatry with... um, uh co-health um and a lot of the the sport becomes our honeypot and even the pope i don't know whether you realize but when the western bulldogs won the grand final the pope uh held a worldwide conference on sport called sport at the service of humanity um I was thrilled to actually get an invite. <laughs> I was one of 150 people.
1: Yes, Catholic boy, ex seminarian. I'm sure. You yeah, somehow, somehow I, somehow I got a
2: run. I got a run. <laughs> Number one jumper. Anyway, so um, he believed in this, but nearly all those who did sport, obviously, it was the round ball. Largely, uh, the other models did a single sport. We do multi sport, multi agency, and from what our CEOs who, who went overseas recently picked up that most of them aren't using the multi-sport model or the multi-agencies. They tend to go for a particular sport. But sport is normally what we discovered was a honeypot for a whole lot of other social impacts.
1: Yeah. Mm. That's the great thing about sport. Hey, listen, I wanted to ask you, um, back to Reckling footy, uh, I love the model of your leagues. So, you know, you play a number of games for the season, home and away, all that sort of stuff. My team, I think we lost every game we played. But then everybody plays on grand final day. Uh, in my year, it was at Windy Hill and a uh, number of games. And lo and behold, my team actually won their game, you know. And the guys were so excited because they all going a medal and uh, there's the best on the ground and all that sort of thing. Um, confirm this story for me. Uh, there's one line in the book about it. Uh, I suppose, the ultimate story that uh, in WA, uh, Marlon Pickett pay, mm. played a little bit, certainly in a grand final yep. over there. And uh, his story is amazing that he's now playing at the top. Is that yeah, true? Yeah,
2: that is, no, that yeah. is a, a true story. We've got photo, actual photographs of Marlon ah. and Tim Kelly. They played for the Halo team. Um, I mean, I think Marlon Pickett's story is fairly publicly known. That yes, yes. He almost won the Norm Smith. Could you imagine that? <laughs> First game, oh. and the Reckling player wins the Norm Smith Medal, Incredible.
1: and he won the medal in his this Reckling grand final, didn't he? I think he
2: did, yeah. And he was recruited on that very day by South Fremantle. But the the sad part around this for me is, I actually read the Marlon Pickett story, and what I realised, uh, dare I say this? But if he hadn't been a good footballer. The personal interest in him, the mentoring and support that suddenly was around him—he worked hard. And
1: mm-hmm. don't
2: get me wrong, mm-hmm. I'm certainly not having a go at him. He—he he had to really respond to make achieve all this. There is no doubt about that. But there's so many others who don't get a look in. That the whole concept is where with Recklink is that we're interested in all. It's really a fair go uh, for all, they don't have to be good football. As matter of fact, if they're not getting a game in a suburban cup and they can't make the seconds. Um, uh, you know, we want to be giving those people that opportunity. So, uh, it's not that we don't believe in something beyond participation. We love to see people fulfill their talents. And if anyone did show that talent, we would really be in there all to see how far they could go and, and so forth. But, um, the deputy president of uh, wrote a beautiful little um, testimony um, saying how Marlon had played and uh, Reckling football and it had meant uh, a lot to him. It also, um, you know, played and developed himself in uh, in prison as well. And mm-hmm. um, um, when he, at a stage there, he was in and out, and he was coming into wrecklink at that point.
1: One of the highlights for my guys, talking of celebrity, was uh, I think we played Ballarat and uh, uh, Robbie Muir was playing and I think he was playing coach, Robbie Muir from St Kilda. Uh, I think some people might have called him Mad Dog Muir. And uh, anyway, he played and oh, I must have been in his 50s and he was still bloody good. Mm, <laughs> so they, they were killing yeah. us. But at half time, he walks over and he says, All right, second half, I'm going to play for you guys. So my fellas just walked about two feet taller, just having Robbie Mueller on their team. Mm.
2: It was oh that that is absolutely true, John. Um, I seen him do that multiple times, and I was quite touched by seeing him do that. Um, he was silky still in his 50. Like, when he kicked the ball, it was a beautiful... <laughs> uh, a beautiful, He was a very skilled player. And he, and lived, he was a pretty
1: big guy, and uh, as he got older, you know, he, he wasn't at his playing weight anymore.
2: Yeah, and he helped us in, uh, with Lawn Bowls, and he helped us ah. with the Tent City Footy League, which was largely uh, homeless people living in a park in Adelaide, and we somehow got on to each other. We used to keep in contact a bit, so... Uh, and he became an umpire, which uh, was a little bit ironic because he did have a great love of the umpire. And
1: he wouldn't talk back to him on the ground, I'm sure. Uh,
2: yeah, so, uh, yeah. Um, but that was wonderful, that league. Uh, each league took on its own personality and its mm. own particular need. There it was people would come together in the park and it would be more of an AFL nines, but there was great enjoyment. It was a great period for those people but eventually they were removed from the park um, but for the time that that ran it meant a lot to people so a lot of it's about identifying in Tasmania a school league was created because there was very little um, sporting clubs in, in towns in um, Tasmania and um, uh, and very little school sport and still it's not not strong. So um, that was mentioned in a, in a meeting and we, we got that league going in, in Tasmania.
0: Um, I just wanted to ask a question um, about, or maybe just a comment that, in terms of the Marlon Pickett, that I think was really nice and I think maybe also really encapsulates the purpose, mission of RecLink, was obviously loving to see people do well from it, but... It feels almost very – um to make sure that, like, that's a great story but also maybe the broader purpose is to make sure that people who have been discarded and left behind by essentially everyone else, you know, can't get housing, in and out of prison, whatever it might be. Like, they're the ones who are wanting to be put forward the most and I feel like that's quite – I, for me that's, like, a really – um I'm not sure what the right way to phrase this is, but I think that's a really beautiful thing and I think that's something that's quite anti, it, like everything at the moment is always about achievement and how mm-hmm. far you can go and the the idea of this being a healing space and so inclusive and the fact that you don't need to be good at something in to be deserving of a place to belong and to feel love and joy is really beautiful and important and I think that's a really... I think personally that's a really powerful part of mm. the purpose is that you don't need to achieve anything in order to be deserving of, you know, even homes or a community or something, which is really important.
2: Yeah, look, uh, you said that fantastically, Em, if, you, if, I'm, if I'm saying that was um, really sums up. I believe it's a very specialised purpose and mission and... Where we include people is where we can make some of the biggest social impact. And doors do open through people's involvement if there hasn't been involvement. It helps them to expand in other ways, Um, opportunities to socialise, improve physical and mental health, uh, feeling more a part of things, feeling better in yourself, naturally will help people uh, move forward, all the, all those types of things, but you're spot on. And we want to be able to take this to all parts of Australia. There's communities all over Australia screaming, uh, absolutely screaming for support um, right up the top of Queensland. When I went there on a break, when I read the papers, and really we have to be in more communities um, Than we are in, we're getting a million dollars off the federal government, but we believe we can provide enormous value for money, and we and we do. Matter of fact, um, the Centre for Sport and Social Impact, La Trobe University, um, said that we got the highest score for a government return, eight ninety nine. Huh was almost a Bradman score, they said. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I was the one who called it the Bradman yeah. score. I yeah, must be honest brilliant. about that. <laughs> but it was um, almost double except for uh, Rumbelara in uh, Shepherd and the Indigenous football program. Mm-hmm. I think they were 550. But, uh, yeah, on, on a serious level, we've got something that can impact... Communities are screaming out for it Alice Springs we've worked we've put uh, a little over a hundred thousand together to go to Alice Springs. We are going to have a bit of an appeal to raise more more money for that. We've put a lot of sports equipment together. Um, we'll be certainly seeking out indigenous leaders to guide us at the best way to work. but Australian rules would almost certainly be one of our key sports. Up there and to have something accessible um, we've got some mobile activity units, so um, if anyone's listening and feel they 've got contacts or links in Alice Springs, it could be useful we're starting a team in Port
0: Melbourne. yeah tell us more about that what's uh, we' certainly be looking
2: uh, for players or people who want to uh, volunteer for that inner city um, one of the inner city teams. Um, we also a point of interest for you is that a RecLink community team now fits under the Collingwood structure. I don't know whether this will throw you or not. Oh, okay. Um, but you know how they have their elite team, obviously yes. uh, VFL team, netball team. dis, dis- uh, right. they, they now have a RecLink community team. So um, that's um, that happened last year, but that's a major development, and that will. That world will open up opportunity particularly for those players and hopefully our broader league, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. but
2: Port Melbourne are also embracing the idea of a team other other um, teams help in, in various ways and we get great support from sports personalities in grand final uh, or particularly on our grand final or development days or presentations etc
0: so if people would like to join or volunteer for the Port Melbourne Newport Melbourne team, what would be the best way to go about doing that?
2: Uh, they can either give myself or Ron Harris a call. Uh, myself on oh four two one four four two three four zero, or oh four one five five four one double eight nine, or phone the RecLink, uh, the RecLink office nine four one nine double six seven two. That's in yeah. South Melbourne somewhere. Your yeah, office? Yeah, we're in one fifteen B for ours. We've also got into sports uh, equipment, John and M. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, brilliant um so it's a it's a component that, that that works uh that works really well to give you an example of what can be wasted we had a a, a homeless man who was uh we did um lawn bowls at the werriby bowls club yep um he started doing that and he, he he loved it so much that they were keen to have him down there and he he started to come down by rail two or three times a week and practised and practised to the point where he made the team. At that very point, we'd got into sports equipment. Uh, There was a story in the local paper that we were seeking, and we had a phone call from a lady in Werribee whose husband had died and had barely used these bowls. So he made the team, and this was a beautiful set of brand-new bowls that we were able to present to him, they would have been worth about $700. You know, something that would have been right out of his scope that was wasted in somebody's cupboard. So food like, um, sports equipment like food uh, gets wasted. So we're really keen to get, we're looking for size five uh, adult footballs, certainly for Alice Springs and training balls for our league. If any community clubs are listening, they've had changes, sponsorships with shorts or jumpers. We're really, uh, really keen to
1: and can people bring that stuff to your office?
2: Uh, they would be able to, or our Werribee, uh, our site is in Werribee, if they're oh, okay. in and around that area, or we can uh, phone and if they phone us, then we'd make an arrangement from there. Beautiful. Uh, re- regarding the the, the um, sports equipment. Well,
1: how many households have sporting equipment in the cupboard that yeah. uh, was a great idea at the time at Christmas time and has never get used now left unused. Can I uh, start to wind things up here? Sure. We're here on the footy uh, sporting record Footy record. That's my old show. Speaking with Peter Cullen from Reclick. Um, the kicking off point is the book that's been released not all that long ago, uh, The Power of a Football. So the point of the book is more stories, isn't it, Peter, than uh, history?
2: Yeah, there's stories um, largely about social impact and people taking their – Uh, You see how people take their journey through Australian football, the impact either of coaches, teams. um,
1: So how can our listeners uh, get a copy if they're interested?
2: uh, Reclink.org, at Reclink.org. They could go there. It'll be on the top of the site and order one. Uh, It's in Dimmicks and many many bookshops across Victoria and Australia, really. Um, And I think with a lot of bookshops, you can go in and, just order one, but reglink dot org. Uh, we make it means we make a really good profit margin because we got sponsors to cover off the costs of the book. Mm. Um, so it is going to impact um, on RecLink Australia's work, and particularly the football. So uh, we want to sell a lot of. Uh, we've sold about twelve hundred now. They're selling extremely well. The feedback around reading it. Um, you know, a lot of people tell me they couldn't put it down. I've loved it. So 32 stories. Um, some great testimonies by the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, Brandon Gale, Kevin Sheedy, um, um, uh, Eddie McGuire, um, Crackers Keenan, all sorts of people. Smokey Dawson, yeah.
1: Okay. It's a great read. So there's a couple of good reasons for uh, purchasing it. Um, thanks for coming in. Uh, If the Sporting Record can help you in any way in the future, please let us know, Uh, uh, I don't know, in any way. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we'd like to be a friend of RecLink.
2: Oh, that's awesome, yeah. um, And you certainly have been that and really appreciate the time. and. and the the beautiful way you were able to see into um, what RecLink is, Em, and thank you for your coaching in the past, <laughs> oh, John, right. the, out, the Outer East Eagles. Uh, if there was agencies interested out there to work together, uh, we can rest assured to have great impact on their people. And it's an add-on um, to... Uh, their work, Uh, it's a great relationship builder for welfare workers with people and um, we'd love to
0: hear from you.
1: Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for listening.
0: might just finish up with this one last quote from the book. Um, This is from Brian Presnell. Before Recklink, I was busted, worn out, tired, sad, lonely. I was beaten, broken. I don't think I cared before Recklink. It's a lost person who doesn't want to be found again. It's a busted person who says, leave me alone. I want to be busted. There's hurt before Recklink, but there's joy at Recklink. There's spirit, there's life, there's happiness, and it is Recklink that brings me my strength.